Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. We hope that you'll visit it frequently for information related to wellness, positive psychology, my own creature, uh, which I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and all kinds of things that are wellness-directed. It's also the place to communicate with me and to recommend guests for future podcasts. Those of you who are regular listeners know that each week we try to present, and usually do, present somebody who leads his or her own life enthusiastically and can help us from their own perspective to become the best versions of ourselves through enthusiasm and through specific skills that they bring to the table. Today's guest is no exception, probably the only exception to other guests is the fact that I might know her a little better than some because uh, unfortunately, as I found out over time, I've had to get into physical therapy more than I would have hoped for. And Nicole is my physical therapist who has really helped me to avoid some surgeries and try and do to avoid doing more damage to myself. Uh, so our guest is, as you might have guessed, a physical therapist. Nicole Ludwig is a, a doctor of physical therapy, and she is also the assistant clinic director of Excel Physical Therapy, Washington Square office. Excel is one of the major physical therapy outlets in the Philadelphia area where I live. I don't know how many uh, how many settings they have. You might be able to tell us, Nicole, but I'm not sure that it's critical if you don't. Uh, <laughs> Nicole got her doctorate at Thomas Jefferson University, which is something we also share since I'm on the faculty there, but not in physical therapy. She uh, also has taken on additional trainings in pelvic floor uh, health, uh, leadership training in, in physical therapy, and other things that we'll hear about. So uh, because I've benefited so much from my work with you, Nicole, I want to spread the word to others. So Nicole Ludwig, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Ron. I'm looking forward to it. And to answer that question, there is somewhere in the mid to upper 30s uh, number of clinics. I probably should know the answer, but we are expanding rapidly. So it's somewhere up in that upper 30s number in the greater Philadelphia area. Yeah, that probably says something about uh, the needs for physical therapy these days. And I guess mm -hmm. I'm not not the only one who manages to do things that, that land me uh, in a physical therapy setting. Mm -mm. But I don't recall, I mean, we just passed our 100th podcast, and I don't recall that I've ever had a physical therapy on our show. So first of all, I'd really be interested in 
knowing kind of the definition of physical therapy. What, what does a physical therapist do other than what I observe the people? <laughs> yeah, so um, ooh, definition. So we are the movement experts, um, we say. So we specialize in specifically anatomy and functional movements and how to return people to functional activities and live their best lives at the highest optimal level of function and promote safety, which is especially something that I work with with my older population at work. But amongst all ages, we're just trying to help people learn motor patterns, strengthen, stabilize, mobilize, all of those things to get back to whatever is their goal. You know, we can kind of make it unique to every patient. I always ask everyone, you know, why they're in physical therapy. I care about their range of motion and strength, but what they care about is the most important thing. Okay, so that, that gives us a real basis for knowing how did you happen to uh, to get into the field? What Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to it? Yes, so I was a patient myself, which is what led me to physical therapy. When I was running cross country in high school, I uh, was clumsy and I sprained my ankle and wound up in an outpatient physical therapy office, similar to the one I now work in. And um, it seemed like a good job. You know, you got to talk to people all day and help people. And every single patient encounter was unique. I really like to talk and get to know people as well as help people. So it kind of just stuck in my mind. And then I moved through the rest of my high school education and I did an internship at the same clinic and I decided it was the road I wanted to go down and I never changed my mind. So I was... Uh, 14 when I decided that and I just I stuck with it and it has been a good career so far so I'm happy with that choice yeah, it's obviously been a good fit for you and you're very good at it um, <laughs> Thank but you. I'm wondering has physical therapy I may be asking you too much history on this but has <laughs> physical therapy changed very much I remember I hurt my back I think it was in my 20s or 30s and went to physical therapy, and either some things have gotten lost in in memory, but I do remember lying down uh, and having some heat applied, and I think somebody, a therapist, did some kind of movements uh, and stuff like that, but I don't remember that I worked very hard. And uh, then there were many, many years when I managed to avoid people like you until I... uh, (laughs) Uh, had uh, knee surgery, and by the time I went there, the the physical therapy office was was better equipped than the gym that I I went to. I, I was just shocked that you know I, I I didn't think I signed on for this that I was going <laughs> to be you know working with weights and doing all kinds of stuff. And you know, a, a therapist didn't tell me to lie down and, and have all this heat applied. Although I think it it probably applies in some cases, but was there a a shift in the thinking in terms of what people are supposed to do from an activity standpoint if if they're being treated in physical therapy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, I don't have a specific answer for you, but PT as a profession has grown tremendously um, in recent history, even when I was applying to physical therapy programs, which was in 2012, 2013, because I did an accelerated program. The final like master's programs were just phasing out and everyone had to enter a doctorate, but people were still getting their master's, I would say around 2010 and slightly later. And before that, it was a bachelor's degree. So over the last 20 years, it has progressed from being a bachelor's degree to a doctorate. 
And with that, the field has become much, much more research-based. So the research aspect has grown tremendously. And that has led to just more skilled interventions, not exactly just, you know, doing some maybe massage and just hoping that works. So those things are good and warranted sometimes, but really um, outcomes-driven care. And, you know, as physical therapists now, we all completed uh, research in school. We, um, I know I had a capstone project I worked on for my last year and a half in school And we are all very research driven. So always trying to read articles, take online courses and staying up to date with our education. Some of that's needed for licensure, but also just, you know, all the PTs I know are self-driven to better themselves and, you know, use all that research that's available to us. And in terms of how things have changed, um, it really has been amazing to see, even in my two, a little over two years of practicing, um, just even seeing protocols for ACL rehab, for example, which, um, you know, I know something you might be familiar with, but the surgeries now, they just, what they do afterwards is so much more advanced than even two years ago when I started with some protocols. So uh, I always like to say motion is lotion. It's definitely a lot more movement is good now, um, even with as something you're probably familiar with more too, concussion rehab and things like that. You know, we're always doing more is now found to be better in most cases rather than, you know, sitting and resting. So yes, that's one way that PT has grown in treatment. Yeah, I assume that that's kind of coincided with the way the medical profession has viewed movement. Because again, I, way back then when I had that, that back injury, I remember the, uh, the orthopedic surgeons said, uh, I was single then living out of town, said, can you go home and just lie on your back other than meals and let your parents take care of you. And yeah, that that sounded like a pretty good deal, but I, uh, I don't think that's the recipe now. I, you know, I I think for almost anything, whether it be back, heart, anything, it seems like there's uh, movement is generally considered the way to go. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Motion is lotion. That's what we say. And what uh, what's the difference between physical therapy and occupational therapy? Yes, the age-old question, which as a physical therapist, I probably don't even have as good of an answer as I should have. But the way I like to explain it to people is physical therapy is a lot of gross movements, so larger scale movements. So think walking, think squats, getting out of a chair, getting off the ground, things like that. Whereas occupational therapy is a little more fine movement-based and it's more fine motor. So brushing your teeth, managing medications, cooking, things like that. So that's one of the biggest differentiations and occupational therapy also does go a little bit more into some psychological skills and management as well. Um, And then a lot of occupational therapists also might specialize in the hand. That's an area that's differentiated. PTs obviously treat the hand as well, but that's an area that they work specifically on typically, but it really depends on the setting. Um, You'll find occupational therapists and physical therapists in schools where they have different roles or in rehab centers and hospitals and then outpatients. So it depends on the setting, but I think the larger picture movements versus more fine motor tasks would be the biggest difference between the two. And do physical therapists specialize? Yeah, you absolutely can specialize. So, um, I myself am beginning to pursue some education to become a pelvic floor therapist, 
there's lots of physical therapists in my realm of work that do an orthopedic specialty certification or program. There are geriatric specialists. There are neurologic specialists. There are cardiopulmonary specialists and pediatric specialists. And I might be forgetting one, but you can do those things at this point. It's not required for a physical therapist. Um, you don't have to do a residency. You can also pursue these educations outside of a residency. Um, you know, you can always work under a general license right now as a PT, but a lot, I, I found that a lot of my friends from school and my coworkers are pursuing these specialty education to further their practice, along with all the research that's available now, kind of just diving deeper into areas to be the best clinician possible. Okay, that's really interesting. Now, my own history is a physician has told me when I needed physical therapy. Is that usually the way it goes? I guess, you know, it's fairly easy if you get an injury, you see a physician and he or she refers you to physical therapy. But it seems like there are an awful lot of pain conditions that are either wear and tear or have been acquired over time or may not even know why something starts hurting. But in general, how should the regular person know to either suggest to the physician whether they need physical therapy or I don't know if people can refer themselves or not, but uh, how does somebody know when they need it if the physician doesn't tell them that they need it because they're not necessarily seeing a physician for that condition? Yeah. So um, I like to tell patients because obviously they ended up in my door, right? So I'm more preparing them for the future with this education. But if something comes up with the same body part I'm treating them for or with something else, I always tell people if you, especially if there's an incident, like you do something, or um, even if there's not, you know, if you just wake up with pain one day out of nowhere, if something doesn't resolve itself in like two weeks maximum, I would say, you probably should get help. If it's not improving, it's not changing. Um, and that's a pretty conservative timeline. It doesn't hurt to get help sooner. But um, if something's taking that long and it's not just, you know, like a little strain or a, like a trigger point or something, if you're in one position too long, that works itself out in that amount of time, I would probably seek care because the longer you then wait, the harder it is to intervene. The closer you are to pain onset, the easier it is to get in there and do something. Obviously, for certain traumatic injuries, you do have to let healing occur. But especially if it's just uh, a lot of patients end up in my door for, I don't know, it just started hurting one day or it slowly started hurting. I don't see as many traumatic injuries or even as many surgeries. And then in terms of, so that's that's my idea for the time frame. It's obviously not a perfect uh, thing, but I would say it's a pretty safe time frame to look at. And then in terms of getting to physical therapy in the state of Pennsylvania, which is where I practice, you can come via what we call direct access with some insurances, not all, but if you, for example, gave our clinic a call, we would be able to tell you if your insurance allows it or not. So I'm sure many clinics do the same thing. But what that entails in Pennsylvania, at least, is you can be treated for 30 days without a script. But if you're going to be with us for longer than 30 days, you do have to get a script and we have to work under a physician. That being said, there's a lot of states that are less restrictive than that. And you can totally just go to PT as long as you want direct access. And there's other states that are a little more restrictive. So it just depends on the state. 
But my recommendation, if you think you need PT, you can always try calling a local clinic. And if you can ask about direct access and, or you can call your insurance company and see if they allow that. And that can guide you there. And then obviously once you're seen, if the physical therapist, because a big part of our job is screening, if we're concerned about anything, even if you didn't see a physician, we might recommend that you see a physician if it's something we're concerned about that's outside of our scope of practice. Okay, that's good to know. And are there certain conditions where PT is really kind of the state of the art that if you, uh, you know, if you've got that, that if your physician isn't recommending it and you can't access it on your own, are, are there some conditions that, you know, really somehow you got to make sure that you get there to, to PT because it, you can wind up as, as I've seen with not having to take medication being able to avoid surgery and so on? Are, are there some really highlighting conditions that, that just scream yeah. PT? Yeah, so definitely a tough question because, you know, in my mind, there's a lot, obviously a lot of things that scream needing PT, but I would say a huge thing is any sort of neck, mid-back, low-back pain, spinal pain, because we all, unfortunately, or most of us at least spend a lot of time sitting throughout the day for our jobs. Or if you don't, you might be on your feet or you might be bending and lifting a lot, which are also hard things on the spine. And a lot of people do just tend to have postural weakness of all those important muscles that surround and stabilize the spine. Any sort of spinal pain just has any body pain, but a spinal pain especially just has the chance to get pretty severe, pretty acute. And a lot of times there's certain movements that we can find that can really reduce spinal pain um, rather quickly sometimes, depending on what's causing it. So, you know, some people constantly say to me, you know, they come for an evaluation for their back or for their neck or something of that nature. And we'll find one specific movement that to me, you know, makes sense, but people wouldn't necessarily think to do it on their own. They can radically improve their pain on day one. Um, people are like, I can't believe I didn't think to do this stretch. And, you know, it's, of course you didn't because that's my job to figure that out. But um, the spine's kind of counterintuitive. Sometimes you want to go one way, but your body needs the other. And you can make a lot of progress on pain very quickly. And like I said, just so many people tend to have weak postural muscles and our spines usually sustain a lot of force, whether it's sitting, bending, standing throughout the day. So I would recommend that any sort of spinal pain. And with that, it's especially important to get in there sooner rather than later. So yeah, that's what that'd probably be the biggest thing to highlight for that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because when I uh, first started with your program before your time, I had again I I don't know whether it was recurrence of the old back injury or or whether I did something. You know, it wasn't. I've had enough other things happen. That <laughs> it wasn't a dramatic kind of thing. But I remember the first time that he the therapist I was working with had me uh, bend, kind of flex and extend on the back and which one produced pain. He just said, you know, practice doing the opposite. So, that you know, I, and it made a whole lot of sense. I made progress quickly. And again, my goal is always to uh, try to avoid as much medication as I can and mm-hmm. to avoid as many physicians as I can and to kind of get back to, to functioning normally as fast as I can. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the work that's been done for me in that regard, which I guess brings me to the matter of age. First of all, what, like, what age range of patients have you seen? 
I have seen quite the range. My youngest patient was nine years old. I've had a couple other teenagers and my oldest patient was 91 and I've seen everything in between. So um, I would say to be a little more specific, I get pretty equally about a third of um, patients in probably their 20s and 30s, a third, like 40 to 60, and then probably a third uh, over 60. So pretty nice division there. Lots of different things I work on with people. But that's me personally in the clinic I'm at that can really vary based on location and insurance is accepted and things like that. Okay. So that's kind of comforting to know that I'm not your oldest, but <laughs> not by far. Let's give me something to shoot for. Um, <laughs> To, uh, uh, so, which I guess it, it leads to to the obvious question of w- when you get into the older age ranges, are there things that uh, people like me are especially vulnerable to types of injuries we're especially vulnerable to? Yeah, I would say a huge thing I work on with patients that are older is balance, whether or not someone actually sustained a fall or they're just feeling less confidence in their walking and moving around. That is something that physicians will very frequently refer patients to see us um, for. And it's obviously very important because falls are traumatic, not only to the individual, but they are um, a bigger ordeal for the whole healthcare system versus if we can work on balance in PT and prevent falls, that's obviously the optimal treatment for that. I see a lot of people for arthritis of varying natures, but commonly osteoarthritis and very frequently of the knees, which is just kind of normal wear and tear with aging to be expected. But the good news is, um, you know, a lot of times people will be dismayed sometimes by what they, you know, get on the imaging report on the x-ray report, but lots of things can be done um, for arthritis to strengthen and help offload the joints and get people functioning better. Even if the x-ray shows, oh no, there's, you know, arthritis in this knee and that knee and the shoulder and the hip, we can still do a lot for that. So I would say a lot of arthritis, a lot of balance. And I see a lot of people for back pain too, a lot of um, stenosis or otherwise, sometimes that disc herniation, disc bulge that people hear about. So um, I would say knee arthritis, back pain and balance are the biggest one for older patients with me personally. That makes sense. I've got uh, uh, several friends who are orthopedic surgeons and I know they always told me you don't make surgery decisions based on based on an x-ray or based on mm-hmm. imaging. You kind of have to tell how limited you are and so on so that that you know by a certain age, all x-rays have something on there, you know, and uh, I'm wondering, since you mentioned balance, are there things kind of physiologically about the aging process that makes us more vulnerable to falling or is it uh, the way we walk differently or what is, is there an obvious reason that that falling? Cause I, I mean, that's, there's a lot of publicity about that. Yeah, absolutely. So balance is comprised of multiple elements. So functional strength is one of them. So big picture, like leg strength, not of necessarily individual muscles, but the legs as a whole Um, and core strength as well. I definitely educate my patients that you have different balance strategies, Um, your foot and ankle strategy, which responds to smaller bumps, you know, so those muscles around the feet and ankle respond your hip strategy, which is the muscles around your hips, your glutes, your core that respond to like a bigger bump. And then the last case scenario is you have to take a big step to balance yourself. So strength is one of them. And that also, you know, usually as we age, if people aren't staying fit and active and exercising frequently, um, can lose a little bit of strength. 
And then um, you also, vision is a huge part of balance. So we also know as we age that vision can tend to change and worsen in many cases. So that's an issue. And then you also kind of have, I explained to people, your body's sense of where you are in space, which can come from your vestibular system in your head. So that can affect people sometimes. And also you have receptors in your joints that kind of let your body know, okay, this is where I am in space. This is where I need to be. So those things can also dull and change with aging. So it's kind of a combination that can be different for everyone. But in therapy, I work on challenging all those different elements to improve people's balance system. I always tell people you can make your balance stronger, just like you can make your biceps stronger um, by kind of taking one of those systems away and forcing the others to work harder is how I typically do it. Okay, that's great. There's a term you use that I want to make sure that you define because mm-hmm. yes, of course. Uh, I use, I really encourage physical activity and so on because it's so good at so many levels. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of research on the benefit to the brain. It also brings people into more social involvements a lot of times. So it's, it's something that from a psycholo- psychology perspective, I utilize but one of my patients mentioned after about six months of me checking this out that I used the word core and <laughs> he said he never grew up with that being in his vocabulary. When a physical mm-hmm. therapist uses the word core, what does she mean? Oh, yes. And me as a budding pel- pelvic floor physical therapist, it means something even deeper than maybe some therapists would describe. But um Your core is a three-dimensional system. It's not just the abs in the front, like people think about, you know, the things people work on so they look good in a bathing suit. It's really kind of like, um, you can imagine it like a cylinder or a like rectangular box, how whatever shape you want to picture. But at the top of your core is your diaphragm. So breathing is important in exercising. That's the muscle that's at the bottom of your lungs. At the bottom, it's your pelvic floor muscles, which is what I'm specializing to work more on, but they're very important muscles that kind of pre-fire and pre-activate to stabilize your core and spine. And the, or sorry, your core, I use that word again, your, your abs in the front and your spine. So that's the top and bottom that are less talked about. And then you have all your abdominal muscles in the front, which have multiple layers. You've got deeper ones. You've got the big uh, six-pack abs on the front and you have obliques on the side. And then you have all the muscles in your low back and trunk that help to um, keep everything stable as well. So it's kind of that whole system versus just, you know, maybe people think about the bathing suit muscles that they want to do crunches to look good for. So uh, all of those are important and they blend into your glutes and your hips. So it's kind of that whole trunk region of your body, if you will, is what I consider the core as a physical therapist. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Because again, I... <laughs> I know a lot of people hear it. A lot of people assume that they should know it, so they don't ask. So I wanted to be the one. To mm-hmm. ask. Of course. What about prevention? What can people do so that they can delay the time that they have to see you? What What should we do to stay in, in shape? And you know, obviously there are there are things that happen. You, you can get rear-ended in a car, you can, you know, they're, they're, I mean, stuff happens, but in general, I, I think the, the research is pretty clear that, that if you're in better physical shape, you got a, 
a better chance of staying in good physical shape than somebody who has. What do you recommend from a prevention standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think I try to educate patients that, you know, while they're with me, I'm going to give them a set of exercises to do that will progress and change over time. But once they leave me in terms of staying healthy, moving forward, and then in terms of your listeners, just preventatively, you have to find the exercise that you enjoy. If you don't enjoy it and you force yourself to do it, you're, you're not going to do it. And then you're not going to have that great preventative benefit. So um, whether it be walking and listening to a podcast, which I like to do myself, or whether it be climbing stairs in your building or playing tennis or going to the gym and lifting weights, you have to just find something that you enjoy, first of all. And, um, you know, I recommend that, you know, you don't have to exercise every day, but like specifically, but movement's good every day. But I would say, you know, four or five targeted days of exercise a week, about 30 minutes would be a very general recommendation, um, but just trying to walk around and get steps in for cardiovascular benefit whenever you can, you know, if you can take the option of the stairs instead of the elevator, um, but movement's good every day, but then picking exercise that you like four or five days a week. And then in terms of, since we've talked a lot about balance and the aging population and preventing falls, some great things that I think give you the most bang for your buck with uh, functional strength, just practicing sitting and standing from a chair is really great to work all those leg muscles. I mean, just working up the amount you can do, you know, doing three sets of five or three sets of 10. And that's a great functional strength exercise. And there's um, actually an outcome measure called the five times sit to stand test where you sit and stand from a standardized chair. And if you hit under a certain cutoff time, you're at a lower risk for falls. So I use that exercise itself as an intervention for all of my, pretty much all of my balance patients. In order to safely practice balance, you can stand at a countertop with someone around and try to stand with one foot in front of the other or on one leg. But obviously you need to make sure you're doing this safely. That's why people come to see me for the appropriate prescription. But if you're just trying to prevent and you don't have a lot of issues already, practicing those things. You can even make things harder by turning your head side to side or closing your eyes, taking away that vision, which makes those other systems work harder, like I said. And then just any sort of postural strengthening, working on your core muscles, as we talked about. So those glute muscles, um, those deep ab muscles and shoulder blades, those are all really important things that help prevent neck pain and back pain would be my best, like very generic prevention prescription, because obviously every person's unique when they end up with an issue. But in terms of general things, I would say work on that postural strength, shoulder blades, glutes, core, and uh, sit to stands for balance. It was great. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. My Mm -hmm. goal was to uh, help the listeners get some of the benefits from you that I've gotten from you. (laughs) I really appreciate you know, you're spending the time and, you know, making that possible and certainly uh, both explaining what physical therapy is and how people can benefit from it. And I can just, you know, verify, you know, the, the benefits of PT in general and especially working with you. So, Nicole, if somebody is, well, let me ask uh, a multi-part question. If somebody <laughs> is in Philadelphia and they're in the center city area. How do they get in touch with, with you or your clinic? Uh, secondly, if they're in this general area, how do they reach Excel? And 
What about people who are not in the city or not in this country? Where, where do they start and what do they look for in, in a physical therapist? I, I hope that's not too <laughs> No, that's okay. Just remind me if I miss a part. But first of all, for finding um, myself and my clinic, I work for Excel Physical Therapy at Washington Square. So um, our website is just, the, the whole Excel website is excelphysicaltherapy.com. And you can just go in and search for, you know, there's a location search tool. We have um, eight locations in the actual city now, which is pretty great. So there's a couple right around the center city area, mine included, but we've expanded to University City and Northern Liberties and Pasyunk. So we spread pretty far in the city now. And then, like I said, we're in the greater Philadelphia area as well. So if you're interested in Excel, you can just go to excelphysicaltherapy.com and search for the closest location to you. And then on that website, if you click on any clinic location, it'll have the phone number. Um, it'll show all of the staff that's there. You can see who the clinic directors are, the assistant clinic directors. You can see people's specialties. So I just recommend that people would play around with that because a really important part of physical therapy is making it convenient to you. So for example, living across the park or going near where you work, because it is something that you'll probably be going to two or three times a week. So you want to make sure it fits into your life well, because we know it's a big commitment, but it also has big payoffs. So I would recommend people find a location that works best for them. And then the phone numbers are on that website. And then in terms of just generally finding a physical therapist for someone who's not in the Philadelphia area, I say word of mouth goes a long way. So chances are somebody in your life has gone to physical therapy and hopefully has had a good experience um, or multiple people have and have had good experiences. So I would say just ask those around you, you know, hey, have you been to PT? Uh, did you like your physical therapist? Because um, that goes a long way. You know, obviously you want people to have healed from their injury too and gotten better, but you know, you want to be in good hands of someone that, you trust who has provided care to someone that you know. And, you know, since the standard route is going to your physician first and getting a referral, a lot of times they'll have recommendations of, oh, I want you to go to Excel or I want you to go to Excel and see Nicole because she specializes in XYZ. So, you know, if you do go that route, then I would say definitely ask your physician for recommendations if they don't already give them to you. But asking Friends, family, coworkers is another great idea, but also Google doesn't hurt either. You know, sometimes you have the advertisements at the top, but just looking through, you, people leave us Google reviews all the time and we get people who call and specifically want to come see someone because of a review that a past patient left that we don't even always know, you know, I don't even notice or see the reviews all the time, but it's cool to hear that that's a, you know, it's a great thing about technology these days. So usually people only leave reviews if they had a really good or really bad experience. So hopefully you'll see the good reviews and that can guide you to find somewhere would be my recommendation. So a couple of different avenues, but ask around, use Google or ask your physician for recommendations. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, the title physical therapist is, requires a license. I mean, if, if somebody is advertising as a physical therapist, that means they've met certain kinds of standards, I guess, these days would, would have a doctoral degree. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, people who graduated with their bachelor's or their master's in physical therapy were able to be grandfathered in because, again, those programs were kind of done away with, like, I didn't have the opportunity to do anything but a doctorate by the time I was applying. But even if people 
don't have a doctorate of physical therapy, they've been grandfathered in and have probably been, they're probably the most experienced because they've been working for longer. So yes, everyone who has the title physical therapist is definitely legitimate, has had the appropriate training, has a doctorate or has long time experience where they were grandfathered into the profession. So if you ever catch someone who doesn't, you should definitely report them because we are all licensed. We have to have our licenses renewed every two years and a certain amount of continuing education to do that. So um, it's definitely a very monitored profession. And the actual training nowadays is how many years? Yeah. So um, it's three additional years for the doctorate program on top of your undergraduate education. So I did an accelerated program. So I was six instead of seven, but the standard route is seven years. And then for those who pursue residencies, sometimes right after school or sometimes during their working career already, um, because a lot of jobs offer residency programs that could be anywhere from one to two additional years of training. And some people pursue fellowships as well, which is further training. So minimum six years in an accelerated program. Standard is seven years. Great. Well, Nicole, this has been fascinating, educational, and helpful for lots of people, including myself. Uh, So I want to thank you personally for what you do for me, but also what you're doing for the audience in terms of, you know, spreading the word about physical therapy. Because again, I think uh, I, I know in my case and in many other cases of people who've been able to avoid surgery and who are able to lead a really good quality of life without medications. And uh, and basically, for many of them, uh, it's really been the start of an exercise program and, and taking better care of themselves than had been the case before. So really grateful for what you do and grateful for your appearing on our (laughs) show and spreading the word and helping so many people. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being such a great patient. You're why I do it. Have fun interacting with people like you every day. (laughs) My goal isn't to be a a patient of any type, but I guess (laughs) I'm going to be one. I'd rather be a great one than a Thanks again, people. This has been Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our special guest today has been Nicole Ludwig with her loads of information about physical therapy and guidance for us to, to lead our own lives in a healthier way, as well as a more enthusiastic way. This is the close of the podcast. Again, I hope that you will visit our website, the Mental Health Gym, recommend other guests, but also consider it your source of information for all kinds of things related to wellness. Uh, We do focus on physical, mental, and social wellness and becoming the best versions of ourselves. You can also find out a lot of that information in the book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, which is available in all formats on Amazon. So I hope that you will join us next week. We'll have another very interesting, very informative guest. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you know, if you put together all the knowledge that we're throwing at you, it really can help you to become the best versions of yourself and lead the very best quality of life throughout the lifespan. And on that note, we'll sign off. Remember, we're still in a pandemic, so everybody stay safe out there and we'll see you next week. Please remember to download the podcast, rate it, and um, 
tell other people about it. Take care now.